Good morning, Grace. And good morning to any of you who might be joining us. Uh, maybe you saw a link go up on a Facebook page this morning and you clicked, or maybe you are sharing a household with somebody who happens to be watching. And, and for whatever reason, you found yourself here today with us. And if that's you, thank you. Uh, we are glad to have you here. It's a privilege to be able to stand before you and, and to gather in this strange way with you. And uh, as I think about gathering, I, I do want to tell you, Grace, that I miss you. Um, last week was one of those weeks where it was sort of exciting to meet off-site and with a small group of people in my home and, and to worship scattered but gathered. But this week, uh, my heart longs for you in a special way. I want to see you. I want to hug you. Uh, I want to ask questions and have asked have questions asked of me. And so I miss you. Uh, and I am longing for that day where we will be worshiping again together in this place together. So uh, with that said, today uh, we're going to do what we've always done, and that is go to the Word. We're going to gather together around the Word and see what the Lord has for us. And we're going to do that by going to Psalm 46. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 46. This week, I've thought a lot about my cave. Some of you may know this about me, but uh, dating back to when I was a kid, I would, whenever I would go to take a shower, I would go into the bathroom and I would turn the water on and I would sit down and I would cover myself with a towel. And I would sit there in the bathroom for a few minutes, uh, wrapped around my towel, and that was my cave. And uh, I did that as a kid. And I still do that. I do that today. Uh, I went to the bathroom. I turned the water on. I covered myself. And for a few brief moments, I was in the dark with the water running, but I was warm and I felt safe and I felt secure in my cave. I love my cave. And sometimes it really feels like I need my cave. I need those few brief moments where I could feel physically safe and secure when life is hard or, or when the, the day is going to be busier, when the weights of the world are uniquely pressing down on top of me. And so I enter into my cave and I feel safe and secure and I don't feel this uncontrolled sense of worry overwhelming me. I don't feel panic rising in me, anxiety filling my throat. The problem is, is that in this cultural moment, at this unique uh, point in human history, my cave is nowhere near sufficient. My cave is not enough to suppress the worry of COVID-19 or the coronavirus. My cave hasn't given me the security that I've needed just this past week. And I doubt many of you have caves like mine, but I am confident that in one way or another, you have something that you find security in, some place or some person or some thing that calms you, that gives you rest, that you run to as a source of safety. Well, 
whatever your thing is, I'm fairly confident that in these past 10 days, that thing or that person or that place, its, it's security has been called into question. We need something better than a cave. We need something better than a security blanket. We need something better than a good group of friends, as great as that may, may be. We need something better than a, a good-looking financial portfolio. We need something better. And that is why I am excited about today. Because today we are going to take a short break from our sermon series we're preaching through 1 Corinthians. And we are going to go to a passage that provides us that better thing. We're going to be spending our time this morning in Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, God is going to show us, us who are in Christ, just how safe and just how secure we actually are. And spoiler, we are perfectly safe in Christ. Perfectly secure in Christ. We have so much reason this morning to stand in confidence. Psalm 46 for some of you is a familiar psalm because it was the great reformer Martin Luther's favorite psalm. And uh, the, the hymn that many of us sing, A Mighty Fortress, Martin Luther wrote that hymn based off of this psalm. And it was the psalm that he went to when he was nervous, when he was concerned, when the angst that, that this world naturally produces was welling up inside of him, he would go to Psalm 46. It was said that in the midst of difficult pastoral situations and in working through the Protestant Reformation or in ministering through the, the bubonic plague, he would go to his good friend Melanchthon and say, Melanchthon, come, let us sing the 46th. Well, Grace, anyone who's watching this morning today, we're gonna sing the 46th and we're gonna see how God will use it to comfort our souls and give us rest. This morning, three truths from Psalm 46 that are going to enable us to stand secure today. Three truths. One, God is powerfully present. He's powerfully present. Two, God gives peace. And then finally, God wins. So that's where we're gonna be this morning. We're gonna see all this in Psalm 46. So if you have your Bible, I'm gonna read this. I'd love for you to follow along with me. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would meet with us today. That you would take this comforting, confidence-producing word, and by your spirit, you would put it on our hearts so that we would be able to walk in faith in Christ today, so that we would be able to hope in Christ today, so that we would be able to advance as the church to go and proclaim your goodness and your grace and your mercy far and wide so that we could be a city set on a hill, a light shining in the darkness. Lord, I pray that you would do great things today through the preaching of your word. So be with us. Help us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the first thing that we want to see, this first truth that is going to help us to stand secure today is that God is powerfully present. God is powerfully present. Psalm 46 is broken up into three scenes. And the first truth that God is powerfully present is seen in this first scene, verses one through three. And in this scene, in these verses, everything is messed up. The world is falling apart. Verses two and three show a world where the mountains are being torn down by earthquakes. The seas are swelling. The seas are rising. They're advancing and they're taking over whatever it is that they're near, destroying. And so what the psalmist is doing here is he's painting a picture for us. And it's a picture where the most secure things that we can imagine, the mountains are being affected by what's going on in the world. And so think about mountains, the San Bernardino Mountains, the Sierra Nevadas, the Rockies, the, the Great Smoky Mountains, the, the Himalayas, these things that stand that, that communicate, we ain't going anywhere. These things are now being affected by what's going on in the world. Those things that we have the most confidence in are now crumbling before our faces. And now it doesn't seem too difficult for me to see how this psalm then applies to our present situation. Many of us today are realizing just how much confidence we have placed in grocery stores to get us food, to get us toilet paper. Many of us are realizing how much confidence we've placed in 401ks to ensure financial stability. Others are realizing how much confidence we've placed in governing authorities to keep us safe from harm. There are these, these cultural pillars, societal pillars that we just assume will always stand. And this past week and a half, all of those things have been called into question. Will they really stand? We don't know. There's doubt. Will the grocery store have what I need when I need it? How will I be financially three months from now? These are questions that, that we are having a hard time answering. And, and at the root of this, the question bubbles up, are we actually safe? Are we actually secure? Will we 
continue to be healthy? Will the people we know and love, will they be healthy? Will we be okay? Well, these questions, they're anxiety-producing questions. They're angst-producing questions. Because COVID-19 and its effects are shaking the world. It seems as if the earth is giving way. It seems as if everything is messed up. And so the question is, what do we do? Do we despair in the midst of this? Do we give in to fear in the midst of this? Do we allow anxiety and angst to just overwhelm us? Well, to this, the great God of glory, who is sovereign over all, the God who is on his throne, the God who knows all and works all according to his wisdom and his might, he says three things to us. One, I am with you. I am your refuge and I am your strength. I'm with you. I'm your refuge and I am your strength. God says that he's with us. He says that he is our very present help in times of trouble. Grace, know this today. If you are barely affected by everything that's happening related to COVID-19, or if you are being completely affected by everything that is happening with COVID-19, God is with you right now. In this moment, in your homes, God is with you. There's a temptation in times like this, or really any time of trial or of suffering to think that God has abandoned us. To think that God has abdicated his position as the sovereign king of all, and he has not. He is a very present help in time of need. Notice the wording here though. It's not just that God is with us, but he's very with us. He's very present. He's a very present and, and, and he's very present at a particular time when we are in need. If you're like me, your theology can actually get in the way of the comfort and the security that this passage is intending to offer us today. You may see a passage like this and you say, of course, God is with us. God is everywhere. God is uh, omnipresent. And so I know, of course, God is with us. And so we can generalize this. This passage uh, just becomes a thing that, that we put into our heads and then we move past because it's just telling us a truth that fits into a theological category. But this passage is not trying to communicate God's omnipresence to us. No, it's saying that in times of trouble, in times of need, in times of hardship, God is with us in a special way. When things get hard, God draws near in a special, unique, and life-giving way. As one theologian put it, it's true that God is everywhere, but he is not only everywhere. Psalm 46 paints a picture of trouble and in times of trouble, in times of instability, of chaos, God is especially near his people. He is especially with his people. And that's why this idea is repeated so many times in this Psalm. Verse five, God is in her midst. 
Verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. Again in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. God wants you to know today, I am so confident that the Lord of all wants you to know today that if you are in Christ, he is with you. And not just in some general sense, not just in the sense that he's everywhere at every time. No, he is with you specially today. He's with us. And because he is with us, because he is with you, he will help you. Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and our strength. He himself is our refuge and our strength. If some of us are tempted to think in times of trouble that God uh, will abandon us and run away, others of us might be tempted to think that God is not able to help us. Well, this passage tells us something entirely different. God himself is our refuge. God himself is our strength. If you're watching today, this is good news. Notice that God doesn't say that he's going to provide you a refuge. He's not going to provide you a house, provide you a cave, provide you a hospital bed, or even a fortress. The refuge that God provides in Psalm 46 is not a thing. These things might be wonderfully helpful. They may be practically helpful. And God in his goodness, he may grant this good provision to you, but... That is not what is in mind here. These things, these types of refuge will provide you a partial refuge, a temporary refuge, a sort of refuge that can be affected by what is going going on in our world today. Houses can be taken by banks. They can be burned down. Caves and fortresses can crumble. Hospital beds can be taken away or filled up. No, God will not settle by merely giving a temporary, me- a temporary refuge, a temporary measure. No, instead, he gives us himself. He will be our refuge. He will be our safety. He will be our stronghold. He himself will secure us and he will hide us under his wings. And know this, God is not weak. He will not crumble. He will not be foreclosed upon. And he'll be our strength. Again, he himself will be our strength. This psalm is careful to not say that God will merely provide strength. He's not gonna give some animating force that enables us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps in the midst of a terribly difficult circumstance. No, no, no doubt We have seen people uh, perform what seem to be superhuman feats. Uh, Doctors and nurses have, have served people for hours upon end and people have been running to problems in order to help others. And this is a beautiful thing. And surely God provides strength for these people, but that's not what is in view in this passage. What Psalm 46 is saying is that God himself is our strength. And you know what? That means that that this strength will never fail. And we need this sort of strength because as we consider verses two and three and we begin to realize that the world is giving way around us, the, the earth is shaking and causing the mountains to tremble and be cast down, no amount of strength in us is going to be able to deal with that problem adequately. 
So we need a well of strength that will not run dry. And so God comes and he says, I am your strength. I am your strength. And I will never falter. I will never grow tired. I will never become weak. The strongest man in the world will fail. I won't. God speaks and life rushes into existence. God says, peace, and the winds and the waves become still. God says, go, and a legion of demons flee before him. The one who possesses all authority on heaven and on earth will be our strength. If I could try to illustrate this for a second, I want you to imagine with me that uh, I go to the park with my son. I'm gonna take Henry, my son, to the park and we go to this park and there's a playground and there's lots of families and lots of kids playing. And I, and I send him off to the, to the playground structure, but I'm sitting on a bench and I'm watching him. I pull my phone out occasionally and check my phone. And then an angry, hungry bear shows up. So uh, I don't know where it came from, but here it is. It is now on the playground and the bear is between me and Henry. So it's closer to Henry than I am. Now as Henry's dad, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to run away? Am I going to flee from this bear? Am I going to buy into that, that old saying that I don't have to be faster than the bear, I just have to be faster than you and get out of there? No. Now what does a loving father do in a situation like this? A danger is being introduced. My son is at risk. I am going to do everything in my power to put myself between this bear and my son. I'm going to do everything in my power to deal with this threat. Now imagine for a second that somehow in my strength, I'm able to scare away this bear or fight off this bear and he runs off. Well, what do I do then? Do I go back to the bench and I go back and play on my phone? No. I scare this bear away and what do I do? I run to my son. I run to my son, I take him in my arms and I comfort him and say, it's gonna be okay. I'm here, I'm with you, I've got you. I want you to consider what just happened. This entire time I was with my son. I was with my son before the bear showed up but then when the bear showed up, my presence was different. When the bear showed up, I wasn't just on the bench. I was between him and the bear. And when the bear ran away, I went to my son and I tended to him. And so in this situation, we see that, that somehow my presence was there the entire time, but it was different. And that is the idea of this first scene in Psalm 46. When the world gives way, God is not sitting on the bench. He's not playing on the phone. In the face of COVID-19, God is not absent. He's not engaged in something else. No, in the midst of the coronavirus and every other trouble that comes our way, God is powerfully present. He's not just with us, he's hiding us in himself, functioning as our strength, being our help in time of need. 
He's there with you today. And some of you are feeling this. You're feeling this moment in acute ways. Some of you, the coronavirus means delaying your plan for adoption. Others of you, I'm aware that you've already lost your job. Others are concerned about the the health of your sick husband or your sick parent. Some of you uh, are concerned because you were no longer able to go to school and your, your parents or your teachers sent you home with, with a whole bunch of schoolwork and you don't know if you're going to be seeing your friends in the next several months. Some of you have clinical anxiety, clinical depression, and this just creates an atmosphere where those things can bubble up. Some of you are already lonely and now you're, you're facing the possibility of, of experiencing even more loneliness. How do we stand? God is with you. He is powerfully present. The God who was with Daniel in the lion's den is with you. The God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is with you. The God who owns cattle on a thousand hills is with you. The God who spoke everything into existence is with you. And he will help you. This is our our first truth. God is powerfully present. And because of that, we could stand secure. Truth two, we could stand secure because God gives peace. God gives peace. Verses four through seven give us this second scene of Psalm 46. And this scene is focused on the city of God. What we learn in these few verses is that the city of God is under duress. She needs help because she's under siege. So in this scene, we move from the world that is giving away, a world that is overwhelmed by chaos, and we move to this city, the city of God. And these verses, they tell us some things about the city of God. First, this city needs help. According to verse five, the city needs help. The city needs to be delivered. Outside her walls, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Outside her walls is chaos, violence, and war. And all of these things and more are pressing in. They're at the gates. And so outside the city is a scary picture, a picture that frightens. The enemies of God are marshalling all of their might and they're directing it at this city, at God's city. They want to destroy. And they're there, right outside the walls. But what's inside the city? You'd imagine if all of that was at the gates, then inside the city would be pandemonium. It'd be fear. It would be crisis. No, inside the city is a river that runs through it. And it's not like the chaotic water is a verse three. It's not like the rising floods that that overtake and destroy. No, it is a peaceful and life-giving river that makes glad the city of God. A river that actually affects the psychology of the people. Verse five tells us that God is inside this city. He's in the midst of her. He's present and he won't let anything happen to her. In fact, he will deliver her when the morning light comes. She is safe because God is with her. 
Yes, the nations may rage. The kingdoms may totter. Yes, the enemies of God might be scary. But when God speaks, he speaks with authority. The the earthquake might be able to topple the mountain, but when God speaks, the earth melts because he is the Lord Almighty, the Lord Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, and he is in the midst of this city and he will rise up for this city. The Lord of hosts is with her and he will be her fortress. He himself will be her peace and he will communicate his peace to the city that belongs to him that he loves. So that's the picture. That's the scene. We we see the city, the city of God under siege. Chaos and danger surrounding the city. But inside the city is peace. Inside the city is rest. Why? Because God is in the city. Because he is a mighty fortress. And so this raises an important question that we need to consider this morning. What exactly is the city of God? Well, the city of God is God's city. So I think it's safe to say that it's the place where God resides, where he abides, where he chooses to dwell, where his love rests. And so many would think this means that the city of God is Jerusalem. And that makes sense. So much of the activity of the Old Testament centers around Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where God's temple was. And so God dwells in his temple. So this city must be Jerusalem. And so what we're seeing here is that God will will protect Jerusalem. I'm not so sure. Acts 7, for instance, teaches us that God does not dwell in a temple made by human hands or a city made by human hands. Noah's 1 Corinthians 3 and many other places teach us God has chosen to take up his residence in a people. His people. People who his son, Jesus, died for people that Christ has purchased upon the cross, people who have received, who who received God by grace, believing in his name for salvation and eternal life. God abides in in these people and they now are his holy temple. The city of God in Psalm 46 is not a location. It's a people. It's God's people. And so who are the people of God today? It's those people who have received the Lord Jesus by grace through faith. And so if you believed in Jesus today, then Psalm 46 is talking about you. It's about you. If you believe in Jesus, then you are a citizen of this city that is perfectly safe, that is perfectly secure. So no matter what is going on outside of the walls, no matter what rages outside of the gates, you are safe because you are within the walls, because the almighty God, the Lord Sabaoth is with you and he will be your fortress. You can hide in him. But hear me, if you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't received Jesus, if you haven't believed in his name, then you aren't inside this peaceful city. You're outside in the chaos amongst the violence and the war. Remember my illustration about my son and the bear. You know what you need to be aware of in that is, is that after I dealt with the threat and after the bear ran away, what did I do? 
I ran not to all the other kids in the playground. I ran to my kid. I ran to my son. I comforted my son. I tended to my son. If you haven't believed in Jesus, then you aren't a citizen of this safe and peaceful city. But you can be. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world beckons you to himself. This Savior died upon the cursed tree, upon the cross, taking your sins upon his shoulders so that you can be forgiven of your sins, so that you who were once far off can be brought near, so that you who were an enemy of God can be reconciled to God and experience his life and his joy and his peace forever so that you can worship him and fulfill the purpose for which you were created. All of this can be yours in Christ. And the Bible says that this is for anyone who would receive Jesus, who would believe in their hearts and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you're listening today and you do not know the peace and the safety that this city understands and has because God is in her midst, then I urge you, believe in Jesus today. If you're watching this with a friend or with a housemate or with a family member, talk to them about what you need to do to become a Christian today. I'm sure they would love to help you. Email me. My my email is on the church website. I would love to talk to you. I want to FaceTime with you or whatever I can do to make sure that you know Jesus and you know his peace in the midst of this tumultuous time. God grants peace. And as I've considered this idea that we're seeing here, that God gives peace to his people, to the city of God, I think I've more and more begun to understand why Christians have historically acted the way that they do in the midst of great trials. Over the course of this past week, I've come across several stories that tell how the early church has interacted with epidemics and pandemics and plagues and, and mass sickness and one of the things that you see happening over and over again is that, that there were just story after story of heroic faith. Heroic faith. And many authors pointed out as they told these different stories that the way that Christians engaged these things were drastically different from how non-Christians engaged these things. And so... One ancient author wrote this about how Christians engaged a plague in Rome in the third century. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. And the same author wrote about non-Christians, but with the heathen, everything was quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. They shunned any participation or fellowship with death which yet with all of their precautions, it was not easy 
for them to escape. Time and time again, when epidemics, pandemics, plagues, plagues, mass sickness have hit, where have Christians been? On the front lines, tending to the sick, praying for the weak, providing for the needy. Christians have been characterized by being helpful, courageous, bold, and compassionate in the midst of crisis. And now my question is why? How can, how can Christians engage the worst of circumstances and do so well? Not perfectly, but well. I think the answer is what we find here in Psalm 46. Why can Christians engage these things well? Well, because God is in our midst. Because the Lord of hosts is with us. Because he is our fortress and because the peaceful and life-giving river runs through us. So we know that no matter what happens out there, no matter what happens outside of the walls of this city, we are safe. We are protected. The walls of this city of God are never coming down, no matter how bad a pandemic gets. God will rise on our behalf. Grace, it, it really seems like the world is giving way around us. Hopefully this will all be over soon. Hopefully we'll, we'll uh, flatten the curve and we'll be able to uh, see sort of a new way of living here soon enough and we'll be back together and everything will be right. But right now it feels like the world is giving way. Right now it feels like the nations are raging and the kingdoms are tottering. And as Christians, we are uniquely situated to look at this and not falter. To stare this straight in the face without flinching, for we possess a peace that is wrought by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're untouchable in Christ Jesus. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that bad things can't happen to us. I'm not saying that we can't get sick. I'm not saying that we can't even die. I am saying that God is in our midst. And no matter what happens, no matter what evil befalls us, no matter what consequence of this we experience, God will continue to be in our midst. And because he, in our, he is in our midst, we are good. We are safe. And we will be safe forever. And so we can cast our anxieties upon him. We can rest in him. We can hope in him. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He will give us grace today and he'll give us strength tomorrow. And so as we cling to this God, we become a sort of people who are enabled then through the powerful working of the spirit to follow in the footsteps of faith of those people who have gone before us. Those faithful saints who've put the needs of others before their own. We too can be light shining and burden lifting Christians who operate by faith and not by fear in the midst of this pandemic. This peace may not come quickly. I know for me, it has not been instantaneous. As Christians, we get to process every emotion in prayer and God hears those prayers. And over time, I believe this is what God will produce in us. If you lean into God as your refuge and as your strength, as your very present help in time of need, as your fortress, he will be with you and he will work peace within you. 
So truth two, how do we stand secure in the midst of this world that's giving way around us? We rest on this truth. God gives peace. And finally, the last truth. Why can we stand secure? Because God wins. God wins. No matter what. No matter what you take away from this morning, know this. God wins. And we see this last truth in the last scene, verses 8 through 11. These verses are incredible. They give us a glimpse of where this is all going. They give us a little snapshot of the end of the story that is being told here in Psalm 46. Where is everything heading? Where is human history headed? God wins. That's where. So follow the flow of the Psalm for a second. The whole earth is giving way. The strong and consistent things are no longer reliable. The city of God is under siege. All of God's enemies are gathering to make war on this holy city. And what happens? Well, we don't get the specifics. We don't get the play-by-play rundown of what happens next, but we do get the ending. We do get the epilogue. What happens in the end? Verse eight, God has brought desolations upon the earth. Verse nine, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What happens is that God's enemies are conquered and God stands victorious. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more COVID-19, no more war, no more famine. Our trust in God is vindicated. Our hope in God is revealed to be well-placed. God wins. And then in verse 10, God makes this declaration. And he commands in this declaration, be still and know. Again, that's a commandment. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Grace, this is a perspective-giving declaration. In all of this, God is revealing to us that he is doing something. He is on the move. He's working something out. He's moving all of history toward a defining and climactic point where all the peoples of the earth will be still and know God and worship him. We don't have all the details, but what I think these verses are showing us is that God is active today. He's in our midst. He hasn't abdicated his throne. He's doing something. He's working It may seem like God is quiet. It may seem like he's on the park bench, unconcerned with us like chaos reigns, but we know the end of the story. We know that's not true. We know that God is working all things so that his people would know him, enjoy him and worship him forever, for all time in peace. And grace, knowing the end of the story changes how we engage the story today. We know the end. We know the end. We even know that if things get worse, God forbid, still, nevertheless, God wins. 
We know that God is working all of this, all of this stuff that we're experiencing, all of our lost jobs, all of our insecurities, all of our worries, all of our angst. He's working this towards a glorious conclusion where he will be exalted and we will enjoy him and know him and worship him forever. And this will happen with or without our help. We can ignore this and God will still work it out. Or we can embrace this and we can lean into God, lean into the story that he is working and experience his joy and experience his peace as he works it out. We know the end of the story. And so wouldn't it be great then if in the midst of this moment, we made it our aim to engage this trial, engage this moment by doing everything in our power to ensure that God receives as much glory as possible on this day. That God would receive as much glory from as many people as possible on this day. We're in the midst of a great trial. One where we're gonna need each other in the midst of. But in the midst of this trial, God wants us to know that we are not in a sinking ship. We might be tossed about by the waves. It may seem like we're in the midst of all the chaos and all of the, the, uh, the mountains falling down around us, but God wants us to know that we can stand secure. Because if we are in Christ, we are perfectly safe for God is powerfully present with us. He will give us his peace even as he is our peace. And we know that no matter what, all of this is moving to a place where we will see fully and finally that God wins. And so Grace, I ask you to take these truths and to pray these truths into your heart. Ask God to take these and to put them deep down inside of you so that you can stand secure today. So like the psalmist, you can be one who is not giving into fear though the earth gives way, but who hopes in faith. I know this is difficult and so I will be praying for you. I wanna pray for you now that God would put these in your heart. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and the hope and the security that he offers us today. Lord, I pray that, that you, by the powerful working of your spirit, would be powerfully present with us and that we'd be aware of that, that you would draw near to us and that we would cling to you and experience a depth of intimacy with you that we haven't to this point. Lord, I pray that you would work in such a way where we are confident of where we are and where things stand and that we would then be employed to go and be the church that shines the light of the gospel to a, to a dark world. Lord, we need your help in all of this. And so we pray that you would provide it. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, even those scattered. And I pray that you'd bless us for the rest of this day in the season to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.